Hello, welcome back to the True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Warren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year. It's 2023 now. That's right. Happy New Year, everybody. 2023 is among us already. Yeah, hopefully yeah. Uh, even better than 2022 because 2022 had its, definitely had its downsides. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've been on a, uh, we've had a rough couple of years since 2020, right? I think everybody yeah. can agree with that. Yeah. But man, 2020 seems like just yesterday, but it was two, two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. Just don't let one little thing that happens in the first week of 2023 define 2023 already. I hate when people do that. Like, <laughs> well, it's already off to a shit start. I fucking, right. I got a flat tire or whatever it is. 2023 is yep. fucked. It's like, dude, give yep. it a chance. Give yeah. it some time. It's just January. Don't worry. You won't even yeah. remember this month. By You're the just already writing it off like three days in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Your football team okay. lost or some shit. My fantasy football teams took a shit at, at just on January 1st. That was it, man. Yeah. Championship week did not go my way at all. But I'm not going to let it define me. It's a new no, year. Absolutely not, man. Absolutely not. We got playoffs Fuck coming you, Mike up. Evans. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Mike Evans. Fucking have to put up 50 points after <laughs> doing a- nothing all year, you son of a bitch. Damn, he put up 50 points. 50 goddamn. He scored three touchdowns all year. Okay. Weeks one through 16. He scores three yesterday against me. <laughs> Technically against my wife's team, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. You still take responsibility for it, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, we're not here to talk about fantasy football. No, we're no, here no. to talk about serial killers and uh, true crime, of course. That's right. And we got a Florida yeah. man serial killer. We have a Florida sexual sadist. Yes. Never heard of that before. Oh, no. Never? Have, never. <laughs> never? First one. First one. That's right. I think he's the <laughs> only serial killer on death row in Florida. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, he's dead Shit, now. He was. He's dead now. Yeah, he's dead yep. now. Put the death in 2019. Yep. Good old Ron DeSantis. Put him down. Sign yeah. the death warrant. Well, good. Good riddance. Um, but yeah, this guy, he, he got started and hit the, hit the ground running hot with, as a killer. And at age 31, he had an eight-month uh, spree totaling 10 victims before being caught. So he just, he's yeah, one he, of those that just kind of ramped up to it. He was a, mm-hmm. a, a rapist for a long time, actually known as the classified ads rapist. Right. I mean, he wasn't known as that. They were, they were you know, the uh, media was dubbing someone the classified ads rapist. They didn't know right. who it was. It turned out to be him. They found, they later found out. Um, and he finally uh, dipped his toes into the killing and just d- dove in head first after that. Oh, yeah. And all the boxes are checked here from childhood oh. trauma, head <laughs> trauma, mama issues. Honestly, he actually added a new box. Like this guy, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, there is no surprise he became a serial killer. When you go through this guy's background, yeah, it's just like, yeah. Jesus Christ, he had no chance. It was one no. thing after another with his upbringing. Yeah. And genetics, too. I think a little bit Dude, of his, seriously. Yeah. Fuck, we got a weird, this is a weird one-off situation in this one, something we've never, I didn't even know existed. A syndrome that he was born with that was totally random that just was like, man, that was, that's brutal. Yep. Yep. But it we'll get help. into all that. Let's get into the intro and then we'll, we'll get into Bobby Bitch Tits. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm this guy. He knew what he was doing. He had me. Forgot. I could have been dead. I could have been lying down in some ditch or somewhere. All the victims, all of them, you know, and you're talking about a lot of them, a lot. He was a monster. He is still a monster until the day he takes his last breath. A lot of lives just gone right down the tubes because of me. You know, in one way or another. And it's not a good feeling. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm not proud of anything I've done. I will be witnessing his execution. It's something I need to do for myself. Why? Are you stupid? I'm not, I'm sorry. 
what he did was horrendous. Um, how he did it, these girls, these victims, didn't deserve to be killed. And the worst thing is, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. All right, for our case this week, we are doing Bobby Joe Long, a serial killer, sexual sadist from Florida, working in the 80s. This is a suggestion from a listener, Rebecca C. on Instagram. Thank you very much for the right suggestion. On. This is this case is right up our alley. It's perfect. If you listen to our show enough, you, you realize this is a perfect case for us. Absolutely. We love serial killers that are easy make to, targets to make fun of. Yeah, 100%. And this guy, man, he like I, like I said in the intro, he, he checks all of the boxes plus some extras. <laughs> Yes. Plus yeah, some yeah. All of the above. Plus, like, do you want to add an extra one here with a comment box? That's yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Kleinfelder him. syndrome. Yeah. Let's add that one in. Yeah. <laughs> if you so. don't know what that is, we're about to get into it. Yeah. So Bobby Long uh, or Bobby Joe Long was born on October fourteenth, nineteen fifty-three, in Canova, West Virginia. He shares a birthday with Stephen A. Smith, Jared Goff, and Shaggy Two Dope from ICP, and also Usher. Usher too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah awesome. he would he would top all of these. Yeah, I'm uh, surprised you didn't uh, have him on the Oddball characters list. here. Yeah. Really Stephen surprised. A. Smith. God, that guy. I want to slap him. <laughs> he is just so slappable. He's just he, a shock factor announcer now, man. He just he, he he just talks shit and he knows nothing. It's unbelievable. He's the hot Like just don't king. let that guy talk about MMA or any sports that he doesn't watch. It doesn't feel like he watches any sports. He like reads like a headline or like some box scores in the morning and then just like, "Okay, I can riff on this." Yeah. That's it. I mean, because his job is to stir people up now. It's not to give yeah. true opinions anymore. I mean, I feel like he's past that. Now it's just like how how many people how many people can I piss off with this statement? Right. Or how can I piss off the the biggest amount of people? Because yeah. that's what's going to get your video passed around. Yeah, who's the other guy that that does the show with Shannon Sharp, the white guy that just the old white guy that's just like an idiot. He's just like oh, yeah. the his white name, version of Stephen A. Smith. His name is Colin something, right? No, not Colin Cowherd. No, the, no, the other guy, Colin the Cowherd. Texas guy that always I, is like Dude, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I can't think of his me name. Me too. I can't think of his name. Yeah, anyways, they they're both the same guy. Yeah. Yep. They just want to piss idiots. people off. They just want to yeah. piss people off. They want to yeah. have hot takes. They're they're captain hot takes, man. It's what I call yeah. them. I'm like, you don't you're not actually analyzing anything anymore. You started out that way. Yeah, but now you're just trying to piss people off. Yeah, yeah, but good old Shaggy Two Dope from ICP, man. ICP was a was quite a thing in the '90s, huh? Yeah, it's, it was. Yeah, there's a lot of people still walking around with the Hatchet Man tattoos. Yeah, and stickers them, on their car. They're still calling themselves Juggalos or what? Yeah, Juggalos, man. They were big Juggalos and Juggalettes. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I never. They're got still into around. It's it just kind of a more of a sad story at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There'll be a like behind the music uh, about them yeah. coming out pretty soon. I'm right. sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so back to our, our study here, Bobby Joe Long. Right. As we mentioned, born in 1953 in West Virginia. Um, he was born with, uh, man, something called Kleinfelter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's a random genetic condition in which a male is born with an extra copy of the X chromosome. The primary features are infertility, small, poorly functioning testicles, and it also sometimes includes weaker muscles, mm -hmm. uh, greater height, which is kind of odd. That is odd. Poor, poor motor coordination, less body hair, breast growth, and less interest in sex, largely due to the fact that it's it causes larger uh, levels of estrogen inside of a male. Okay. I've never heard of this. partially responsible for breast growth. So right. he grew some breasts as a young teen and had to have them surgically removed later on. Yeah, I think at 13. Yeah, 13 years old, he would breasts. later have them removed. Yeah. He was you know, one of those kids that at the beach or whatever would always keep a shirt on. 
Dude, I think he kept his shirt on his whole life. Uh, probably. Well, mistaken. yeah, because even after he got him removed, you had to think he probably had some nasty scars going on. Yeah, yeah. I think he was he was kind of self conscious of his of his body, especially his torso, his whole life. Yeah, yeah. So his parents, Joe and Luetta Long, got divorced when he was two years old, and following the divorce, his mother moved to Miami, taking him with her at two years old. So mm -hmm. I, I believe he was an only child. I didn't hear anything about siblings. Yeah, he was his only child. But yeah. He had a very odd relationship with his mom, very checking those boxes, yep. serial killers. Apparently, uh, apparently his mom was quite the looker from what she I She was quite the looker. She yep. dressed, you know, a little bit uh, provocative, I suppose. She was a cocktail waitress. Right. And she would frequently bring home men to the apartment that she shared with young Bobby. Uh -huh. And he stayed in her bed with her until he was in his teens. They slept together. And, you know, frequently she would bring home a guy and he would be kicked to the couch for her to right. get it on. Yeah, he didn't and like it just that. Create this, it created this weird dynamic uh, where you almost wonder if he had this infatuation with her for a while and then grew that grew into hatred. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. It didn't help, that's for sure. Yeah. But she was a young he definitely, woman, you know? He definitely hated her as an adult, and some speculate that he was symbolically killing her with each of his victims. Mm, old Ed Kemper type shit. A bit of an Ed Kemper uh, vibe going on. Except for, sure. for there was no evidence that his mother was abusive like Ed Kemper's mother. Though. No, she wasn't even not even verbally. Right. He just didn't like her lifestyle. He didn't like that other men wanted her. He he wanted mm. to be the only man in her life. Maybe that's what it was. He wanted her for him, for himself. And damn, like Oedipus there kept, complex. Right? They kept popping in these guys that would take her away briefly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, she was a young woman. I mean, she divorced his father when she was two, when he was two. Yeah. So, I mean, she's not dead. She she wants to carry on her life. I'm sure she's looking for, you know, her next husband or whatever. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, everybody needs some type of company at some point in time. I mean, ultimately more so than the relationship with his mother or whatever is, you know, his mom, like you said, wasn't abusive. This is not that out of the norm for a kid to sleep with their mom until they're, you know, even into their early teens. I mean, once you get past like 10, it's a little weird. Yeah. In my opinion. But I mean, who are we to judge? Right. Uh, the problem is all of the brain trauma, in my opinion. That really changed this dude because yes. he had a lot of it. As a child, he had several head injuries, checking more boxes. Uh, he fell downstairs. He fell off a swing, a swing set, man. Always seems to pop up these swings. Yep. You'd swing think you'd hear more about trampolines. Trampolines seem way more dangerous than a fucking dude. swing, but. But they're not, they weren't as popular back then. Trampolines weren't. But do you yeah. remember like playgrounds? Back in the day, like even when we were kids, like they were all metal. Like they like did those oh big metal domes and shit. The monkey like, bars, everything. Yeah. yeah. Or there would be like these no things doubt. that was just a bunch of ropes weeved together. It's like it'd be so easy to fall and like hang yourself on these things. It's like right. like playgrounds yeah, and, were uh, dangerous and, places. And swings though, the I mean, what would you do when you were on the swings when you hit five, six, seven years old as a boy? You jump off. Let's see how high I can go up yeah. and jump off. Absolutely I'm gonna jump off. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times you go off and you, your gas gets kind of caught on it and then you go face first. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll get caught on yeah. something. Yep. And not only that, if you fucking walk in front of somebody else swinging or you land in front of someone oh, else swinging, yeah. you just get kicked in the face. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so he falls downstairs and that was the least of it really because he was also thrown from a horse and was hit by a car as a young man the car, so badly that he needed surgery to repair his jaw. So let's not blame the swing too much. Right, right, right. Yeah, the swing, it's the car, really, I think, that did him in, honestly. Yeah. Well, and then there's a motorcycle accident later as an adult that just seems to have really been well, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes, it really, that's the, I would say, the greatest change in his behavior came after yeah. the yeah, motorcycle accident. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm sure he was, I read a little bit that he was bullied relentlessly, probably, into, you know, partially due to the fact that he had breasts as a young man. That doesn't help. Right. Um, so at 13, he had his breast surgically removed due to the Kleinfelter syndrome. Um, then in his late teens, he, teens, he would drop out of high school and become an electrician. Uh, and yeah. due to his skills as an electrician, he would uh, join the army and enter that field. Here we go. But around that time. Checked. Yep. Military box. Yes, absolutely. Usually there's a stent in the military at some point with a lot of these serial killers in the seventies yep. and eighties. Yep. Um, around the time that he joined the army, he married his high school girlfriend, Cindy Bartlett. They had met when he was th around 13, the same time that he got his, uh, his breast surgery. Right. Um, and so they were kind of like, you know, young sweethearts known each other for a long time and they would get married at 19 in 1974 when Bobby was 21 and they would stay together for quite a while before yeah. she finally had enough. Yeah, she said when they were kids, they were pretty mis mischievous. They would get into like just playing pranks on people, running around the neighborhood. They both kind of felt like outcasts is the way she described She said it. he was the love of her life. She was yeah. absolutely in love and infatuated with him early yeah. on. I think there's an advantage um, to growing up together like that. I yeah. think it, and it kind of accentuates those feelings a lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even in a relationship that maybe wasn't meant to be. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, so that same year, while enlisted in the army, talking about 1974, mm -hmm. um, he suffered another major head injury when he crashed a motorcycle, landing him in the hospital for five months. This is so where nearly died. Really changed. Yeah, nearly died, and some more severe head trauma, just piling up the frontal cortex damage, just completely taken away any inhibitions, and seemingly just his impulse control was completely gone following this accident. Do you think it was that, or do you think it was the near-death experience that just made him finally want to act on these fantasies? Maybe a little bit of both, but I think there's yeah. absolutely something to be said. It's, it's, we've, you've seen it time and time again where someone has gets hit by a car or something like that and their personality yeah. changes, sometimes for the better. Well, sometimes people, they become great at something. Like a lot of, I, I guess a lot of comedians, they, you know, they, they were normal people yeah. and then they got hit by a car or something and all of a sudden they just become prolific comedians because they just yeah. like fuck it all i'm gonna do is what i want to do all the sam time kinnison i think that happened to sam kinnison yeah if i'm not mistaken yeah i think something like didn't like roseanne bar something like roseanne that too bar, she yes. had some head injury yeah yep yeah it's odd you know what was weird though it's weird that this this motorcycle accident flipped the switch on his disorder right because a, a big part of his disorder was low sex drive remember yeah and then mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're in this motorcycle accident and you're you're well into adulthood yeah. And now you're obsessed with sex. Isn't yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like the brain is And it was a, it was seen thing. right away while he was in the hospital in a body cast. Yeah. Nurses reported him masturbating five times a day. I don't even while know. In a body cast. I don't even know how you managed to do <laughs> how that. How do you do that? That's amazing. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I mean how? Where there's a will, there's a way, I suppose. I'm just I, trying to do the math in my head on how this works because I'm just picturing, I'm like, you know, oh, stiff, I know. Like, you, well, you're thinking, we're thinking like cartoon freaking body yeah, cast, you body know? cast, right? Like you're, you're like suspended, your arms and legs are suspended and shit. Obviously, it wasn't yeah. that ex that extreme. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe his pelvis wasn't in a cast, you know, maybe he didn't right. break his pelvis. So I don't yeah. know. Like Meredith on The Office. Remember when uh, I'm Michael Scott picture, like how <laughs> how animals some some animals masturbate, like rub it on themselves or whatever. Like horses like slap it against their stomach. It's pretty creepy. Oh really? Horses yeah. masturbate like that? Wow, oh, yeah. you, learn, you learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> the joys of being uh have being with a wife that's had horses her whole life. The things you learn. 
uh, more you know. <laughs> but you know, no matter how he did it, he got it done five times a day. But then again, when you're in a body cast and you're held up in a hospital, what else is there to do what for else? Christ's sake? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. You know, you get bored, man. TV loses yeah. its, its luster. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I mean, I know that uh, young teenage boys, their their hormones are going crazy, but also I think part of why they masturbate so much is boredom as well. Like summer vacation, you're mm-hmm. sitting around. What else is there to do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nonetheless, after his release from the hospital, Bobby displayed more jealous and aggressive behavior towards his wife. So she noticed a change in his personality. He was already, he had his moments before. He was a very, um, what's the word? Uh, it, he like was bipolar, uh, kind of. No, like he, he, he was ornery. I guess there was oh. things that would set him off. She'd noticed, like he hated the smell of garlic and popcorn, which that just <laughs> makes me more a monster in my mind. Those are two like top twenty smells right. up there with like fresh cut grass, watermelon. <laughs> right? Who doesn't like the smell of popcorn? Popcorn and garlic are like man. Yeah. Grilled onions, like there's I put just garlic in everything. Top too. twenty. That's what I'm saying. Top twenty smell. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's Some roasted that's, garlic, bro. Come that on. That should have been a red flag for you right there. Seriously, like popcorn. Get I don't think I could be with someone that doesn't like the smell of popcorn or garlic. Maybe, maybe uh, bad things We're just not happen the same. to him. We're different. Maybe bad things happen to them during that smell, you know, because smells can be tied to your memories so strongly. And like that is true, you know, that is true. Maybe his mom would make popcorn for these guys that she would bring home or whatever, <laughs> and he just related I, uh, it to that smell. Still to this day, I have a bad connection with pine. The smell pine, even though I love like nature and pine trees and all that, but yeah. like one time I had a surgery probably for one of my broken bones and they they used to offer you scents for like what gas they would put you down with yeah they would give you like a like an option on scents and pine i chose pine and that was a mistake i don't know just Ruined correlating the you. two of like you know, you're getting put under and all that stuff and it just yeah not a good connection now damn well that's and then now every time you smell pine you think about that surgery right right yeah, yeah. i'm telling you the smells man they can be tied to it they can be tied to anything <clears throat> mhm so some of the things he would do to her, you know, he would he would just be mean to her. And then also, like she mentioned, there was times where he would display his dominance over her by like pinning her on the couch with his knees on her shoulders and then mm. slapping her in the face, which is just sounds horrendous. Yeah, it does. It sounds like some some elementary school bully shit, too, though. Yes, totally. Yeah. Nonetheless, they would go on to have two daughters together um, around. Dude, it was a busy year in 1974 for him. He, he joined the army. Got, or no, I think he got married, joined the army, had the motorcycle accident and had his first daughter. And they had two daughters almost immediately back to back, almost so much so the, the, that the wife and mother said that it was like essentially like having twins because they were born with like in the same year. What do yeah. they call it? Irish twins or something like that? Right, right. You're less than 1974 and 1975, their daughters were born. Wow. And it's always amazing to me. Someone who's a sexual sadist targeting women and has daughters, it just makes no sense. Like, it's just, isn't that crazy? It really is. Yeah, if that doesn't change your perspective, nothing will. Yeah, because I mean, I've never had any uh, motivation to ever harm women, but like, even more so when I had a daughter, it just like can't even fathom it at this point. Right. It really puts things into perspective. It changes your whole vision. It does. Yeah. Um. He once was arrested after he choked Cynthia unconscious and slammed her head against the television. She mm-hmm. said, "When I came to, I was on the couch." Of course, he was there crying. I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. Then the next words were, when you drive yourself to get stitches, if you tell them what really happened, I'll kill you when you, when you get home. All right. Great. This is promising. Yeah. Nonetheless, the hospital saw you know what had been done to her and made the decision that um, this was domestic abuse and had Bobby arrested. Wow. <clears throat> That's pretty crazy, like with no evidence. 
Yeah. She, uh, she was in a, a special that I watched on YouTube. We'll have the link below. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was interviewed in that and she talked about how following this latest, uh, uh instance of abuse, she actually, um, one night was basically had a loaded shotgun pointed to his head while he slept and was yeah. sitting there all night. She said she stayed up all night with that gun to his head, just contemplating whether she should pull the trigger or not. But she said the one thing that made her not do it was the fact that they had kids who would raise their daughters because she would be in prison and their dad would be dead. Yep. Yep. Absolutely makes sense. I mean, that'd be a hard thing to do, even if you wanted to end him after the abuse you've suffered, no you doubt. know, just thinking about how now they have no, no mom or dad. Yeah. And, and one, I know one instance, uh, or one time while she had the shotgun out, he woke up. Oh, really? Yeah. And he had, he looked at her and he was like, he was like, you don't have the nerve to do it, bitch. He said something like that. Yeah. And she just, imagine she just pulls the trigger right then. I know. (laughs) Right. Perfect timing. I know. Right. What was that? I'm sorry. You were saying that gives you some insight into him too, as well. Like he, he, I think at that moment he had decided he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Yeah. That maybe went back to that head trauma and that impulse control and all of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cause you just don't think about consequences. I think when you get that, that level of brain damage, it just does, it doesn't no. really occur to you. No, the, the impulse, the impulses are so strong. I think that's yeah. the only thing that controls your brain. Yeah. It's and we don't, don't, don't get it twisted into we're making excuses for this guy. He's a fucking monster. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But nonetheless, I think the head trauma definitely played a role in him taking action on a lot of things that he wanted to do. Yeah. Well, it a- absolutely uh, escalated it, right, yep. to, to murder. It mm-hmm. made him a lot more uh, rambunctious, a lot more impulsive. Um, yeah. He just didn't care about human life after that. And before he delved into murder, long before that, he started frequently raping women. And this mm-hmm. began in the in the late 70s. Bobby's wife noticed him uh, being gone for all hours of the night with no explanation for where he was. And this is because he had discovered a clever way of getting invited into women's homes so that he could rape them. He would frequently respond to classified ads, something we've seen. We've done cases on classified ads killers before. Yep. They were just, uh, they weren't like they are now where there's tracing to them. You know, like you respond to a Craigslist ad, there's a digital footprint of that. Like, even if you call someone with a phone now, everything is tracked so much. Whereas before it was like landlines in the seventies right? and a, a newspaper ad, like there's just no tracking that. So he would call these ads and if it was a woman and it seemed like she was alone, he would obviously make that determination when he got there. If they were selling something and a woman picked up the phone when he called, he would then make plans to meet at their home. And then right. when he got there, if it seemed as though there was no man there, he would rape them. Yep. And he was smart about the things that he was shopping for. I'm using quotes here because, mm-hmm. you know, he would look for things like bedroom sets, couches, mm-hmm. things that are going to be kept inside your home. So yep. when you come to visit, you're going to be taken into the bedroom and or living room or whatever mm-hmm. out of out of public eye. Like he was pretty smart about this. And then like if he showed up and a guy answered the door, he'd be like, OK, well, never mind. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm just he would not look interested. at the item, say, yes, yes, I'm not interested. It's yeah. not going to work. Yep, exactly. Exactly. You just wish that one of those times he, you know, would begin doing what he was going to do, and then the husband or boyfriend would show up. That would have been nice, right? All right, and just kill his In ass the right of then. It. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it yeah. Didn't so happen. he, yeah. So he would pull a knife on them, bind them, and rob their homes after having his way with them. Between 1975 and 1984, it's believed that he committed dozens of rapes in Florida using this me- this method. Um, some estimates put his rape count at 50 women. And as we mentioned earlier, the publications would name this person the classified ad rapist. 
But they had no leads. And they had no idea. Yeah, who he was they wouldn't at this time. find out. They wouldn't find out who the classified ad rapist was until uh, late 1984, following what? him being captured for the murders that he commits. Which isn't this crazy? Because I mean, he wasn't killing these women, so they all saw him. They all saw yeah. him. They all saw his car. They all. Con I, I just don't get it. I don't get how you how you get away. Maybe with they this. saw his car. He might have also parked around the corner and walked up to their door. But that's even Who more knows? suspicious. Like, how are you supposed to, how are you going to haul this furniture that you're coming to look right. at if you just walked up to my house? Mm -hmm. I don't True. know, man. There's just, there's so many, there's so many gaps in, in that. It just, it baffles me that he was able to get away for so long. None of these women were able to, you know, give a good, a good uh, idea of what he looked like or anything, a sketch together. Or, I don't know. It just yeah. baffles me. I mean, me. there was nothing that distinct about his looks either. Like if you look up That's a picture true. of him, he just he just kinda looks like a guy. He's nothing Yeah. He's not He didn't a have the turner. boobies anymore. Right. Unfortunately. That could have been something that got him caught long ago. Right, right. He's, he's he looks like a man with a mustache and then he's got tits. So that would have been a lot easier to capture yeah, him. That would have been way easier. <laughs> he's got a C he's got right. double D's <laughs> with a mustache. That would have been a whole right. lot easier. Right. He sticks out of a crowd now. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. So, uh, in 1980, his wife, Cindy had finally had enough and she filed for divorce and they had a tumultuous sp uh, split for a while. She talked in the, the documentary about it, uh, how the first year or two, it was what you'd expect from a, a nasty divorce. You know, he would come to get the girls or whatever, and it was just, they hated each other. Um, right. but eventually she said that they finally started to get more, uh, cooperative with each other, I suppose you could say. And mm -hmm. that, that might've come when he, uh, a few years later moved from Miami to Tampa. Okay. But not before in 1981, one year after his divorce, he was charged, tried and convicted of rape, but appealed the conviction and it was acquitted. I'm not sure about the details of this, but there must've been some lack of evidence or maybe the, the victim didn't show up for the, uh, right. the second trial or whatever. Who knows what happened? That, that would be my guess is maybe the victim didn't show up. That's the only thing fear. I can think too. Um, is, is far We've seen as that these, so many times. Yeah, and maybe a lot of his victims were that way. Um, he was very good at picking his victims, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, yeah. And maybe he did pick women who were just afraid to come forward, or he threatened them, surely, you know, before mm -hmm. he left. But uh, and maybe they just were terrified that, that he wouldn't get caught in time. Or if he gets picked up for rape, he doesn't even do that much time in prison, and then he's back out, you know? Yeah. Maybe they thought it would be easier just to to forget about it and just be more, you know, be more protective. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it was in 1984 when he moved from Miami to Tampa that he became a serial killer. Um, I don't know if this was a conscious decision. It almost seems like it was. Maybe it was that 1981 close call with rape mm -hmm. that he decided, as we've seen in many other cases where it's like, well, if I don't leave a victim living, uh, you know, a rape victim alive, then they can't point you know they can't finger me in court and put me away if i right. just make sure that they're gone yep i didn't think about it till this moment it probably had something to do with that 1981 close call for rape that he decided you know if i just kill them then i yep. don't have to worry about it exactly <clears throat> so while in tampa he would drive around in his 1978 maroon dodge magnum um he would drive up and down tampa's nebraska avenue which was their red light district uh, which had many clubs and bars and was frequented by sex workers. And that was his main target as many of our serial, serial killers, um, 
is uh, he would target sex workers for the most part. However, right. he did on several occasions just find a, a woman walking down the street and snatch them up. Yeah. Or invite them in for a ride if they were walking or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where his sex crimes escalated into murders. He would quickly develop an MO, an MO in which he would persuade women into his car, rape them, and then drive to a rural deserted location where he would kill them. Most of the time, this is what he did. He would also, he, he also liked bondage. He would use ropes. He would fashion his own um, hangman's noose, which was something I've never heard a serial killer do. You know, we know that Gacy, we always have to bring him up, right? He had his, <laughs> I forget what they called that, where he would use a stick and the rope and right, twist right. it. He yeah. had his thing, but I've never heard of a killer using a hangman's noose to strangle people. That was an interesting little sidebar on this. That was. It was pretty dark. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you get you get pulled over and you got like a kill kit and that includes a hangman's noose. That is an odd. That's yeah. going to give it's going to give some suspicion on uh law enforcement side. Absolutely. At the very least, they're going to want to bring you in for questioning, make sure you're not mm-hmm. suicidal or something, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mhm. Most of his victims died from strangulation, though some had their throats slit. There was one victim that fought really hard and ran. And he caught up to her and slit her throat. One was shot. That was odd. Mm-hmm. It was almost like he was just getting bored and trying new things at a, at a certain point. Right. Well, I think he's um, getting lazy as well. Yeah. Uh, many of them were bound and posed in diff- into grotesque positions as well. Yeah, it was obvious he wanted to embarrass the victim. That's one of the things I really hate about this dude. He yeah. He obviously wanted to embarrass these victims. Didn't it also seem like he treated the sex workers differently too? Like he really got yes. off on torturing them, leaving them nude. Yes. Um, and then in grotesque positions and stuff, it was almost like a Jack the Ripper type of vibe to it. Yes. Because there was a couple of victims that weren't sex workers, that the girls were just, they were riding a bike down the street or walking or whatever. And he right. seemed, it seemed like he left them clothed and not like yes. posed. Was, yep. He yeah. definitely had a hatred for sex workers and it must have stemmed back to his mom or whatever it was. I guess so. Even though his mom wasn't a sex worker. I know, but like he put her in the same kind of thing. You I know, guess she he did. Yeah. Dressed scantily and she brought home men frequently or whatever it was. Right. <clears throat> so the first of Bobby Long's victims would be 20-year-old Artis Wick, who had hitchhiked from Gas City, Indiana to Tampa. She was engaged to be married and um, came across Bobby. He abducted her, raped her, and strangled her on March 27th, 1984. And she wouldn't be... Uh, attributed to his victims until like he was captured it was it was thought that his second victim was his first victim for a while right but it would later come to light that she was his first victim Mm. Uh, police didn't that was partially because police didn't find her skeletal remains until eight months later after her murder uh, on november 22nd 1984 she was found in rural southern hillsborough county uh, florida isn't she one where he gave up the location of her body like after being caught that's why it's eight months Uh, later right because, I believe so. Yeah. I think that he, was when he was captured. It was in, I think, November of 1984. So yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. I think he, he ended up giving away, giving up her body location. Mm-hmm. So his second victim would be 19 year old Nguyen Thai Lana, Lana Long. She went by Lana or Lena. Um, she immigrated from, uh, to California from Laos. Uh, she followed her boyfriend to Tampa from California and was enrolled to attend art classes at UCF or USF, sorry. Um, in the meantime, she was working as an exotic dancer at uh, at Nebraska Avenue's Sly Fox Lounge. And 
This must have been where Bobby came across her, and on May 13th, her body would be discovered in a field. She would be found nude and bound with cord tied around her neck. Underneath her body was a white scarf tied in a knot. She was the first of Bobby's victims to be found, and for a while was the first victim attributed to him due to that fact. Yes. And she was one of the first ones they found, you know, displayed in a in a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. I think they, they said that her, her legs were spread to the point to where her ankles were over five feet apart. Good God. I heard that in a documentary. Like that's that's insane. Like he could have yeah. he probably like dislocated her hips, honestly. He was just brutal. Man, there's so much there there's definitely some Jack the Ripper to him, isn't there? Like mm-hmm. he just want like you said, he wanted to embarrass them. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a piece of shit. Man. The frequency too, of which when he when he started killing, he just man, he just really went for it. Well, it was appet- like bodies yeah. were being found every other week for right. that eight month period. Because he probably got to the point where this was the only way to get aroused and his appetite was insatiable at this time. Yeah. So you combine the two and now he's lived out this fantasy and it's like, what's gonna compare to this fantasy for him at this point? It just seems like so many so often we study serial killers and their first victim, they do it and then they take a they take a break because they're like scared to get caught. They're like, Holy shit, I just did that. And they yeah. take like six months, sometimes a year. Not the case here. He was just like boom, boom, boom. Week, you know, every other week. Well, because he'd already been a rapist for so long, though. True. Like, that is very true. Yeah, like he was no stranger to the majority of this crime. It's just the finishing yeah. aspect right. that he that he added, which was yeah. silencing the victim indefinitely. Yeah. yeah. So two weeks after Lena Long was was murdered, the body of a 22 year old former beauty contestant Michelle Sims was found off an interstate four overpass. She had been a California native as well, um, but had recently moved to Tampa. She had been working as a receptionist, but was also, uh, you know, addicted to drugs and involved in sex work on the side. Mm-hmm. She was found nude and bound with her throat slit. I believe she was the one that fought back and ran, and he caught up to her and slit her throat. Yes, her clothes lay next to next to her, um, and it would end up being her murder that would ultimately put Bobby Joe Long in the exec- execution chair many years later. Probably the it brutality of it, really too the brutality um i'm sure it didn't hurt that she was a beauty queen and all those things probably played into a jury's hands you know for the prosecution right and i'm sure there was a lot of evidence tied to her too because he had to be so physical with her yeah you know what i mean because like you said she fought back she ran i'm sure there was a lot Mm -hmm. more evidence um on her on her body and at the crime scene because of the the brutal and messy way that he killed her yeah yeah and then on June 24th, 1984, 22-year-old Elizabeth Ludenbach's body was discovered fully clothed in an orange grove. She had been raped and strangled. She was a shy girl who worked on an elect- electronics assembly at line at a factory. She had never been involved in sex work. She just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, walking down Nebraska Avenue just blocks from her home when she was abducted by Long on the evening of June 8th, 1984. Yep. Prime example of uh, just an, a, a girl that was not involved in sex work who was you know, different in his eyes. He viewed yep. the, you know, as many serial killers do, uh, sex workers as less than human. This girl, you know, a normal girl working at a factory in his eyes. So he left her fully clothed, didn't pose her and do all of that, didn't slit her throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, nonetheless, a horrific end for her her life and a tragedy. I mean, he still raped and, and murdered her, strangling her. Absolutely. But the way, it's interesting the way that he treated her body afterwards differently than the sex workers, for sure. Yeah, it is interesting. It really is. 
I guess he just got desperate. Or sometimes he just was opportunistic. Mm-hmm. He was. Just saw them and couldn't couldn't help himself. Yeah. Saw them alone and just had to strike. Yep. Um, it's at this point that police begin to think that there's a serial killer that's killing, that's targeting these women in Tampa. And forensic analysis would confirm their suspicious suspicions that these murders were all connected. On Sims and Ludenbach's clothing and the white scarf found under Lena Long, tiny red nylon fibers, likely from carpet, were discovered. Mm-hmm. And most of the dump sites from the murders also had matching distinct and rare tire tracks that they said like were typically from a Cadillac, which is interesting because he was driving, uh, he was driving that red Magnum at the time, yeah, but who knows Dodge where he got Magnum. the tires from. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, I think so he had his fifth... one tire. I think he had one tire that was different and that was the tread that was so rare. Oh. Yeah, like he, he had- might have had a flat and had yes. a spare from somewhere, whatever, yeah. Yeah, maybe it was on his spare or maybe he just, you know, like you said, maybe he had one tire, maybe he hit a nail with one tire and had to have just one replaced. But mm-hmm. whatever it was, it was that one different tire that was rare that yeah. really that really cemented it and connected him to all these crime scenes. Well, That's thank God for that nail or whatever it was that blew yeah. out that tire that he had. <laughs> Absolutely. Wish it would have happened sooner. Yeah, that's one of those things in life, man. Just like and random that, occurrence changes yep. everything. And he had that that crazy red interior too, the red carpet oh, yeah. in the car, you know. Yeah, I guess that, showing that up. we'll talk later too. There was a distinct thing about the year vehicle that he had. It had the font of Magnum inside yeah. the car. It was only one year that did that. Yeah, on the, on his, the, yeah like on the glove box help. or whatever yeah. on the passenger side. Yep, and yeah. one of the victims saw it. Yeah. That's brilliant. So Bobby Joe Long's fifth victim was 21-year-old Vicki Elliott, who disappeared on September 7th, 1984, on her way home from waitressing at the Ramada Inn. At the time of her death, Vicki had plane tickets to go back to Muskogon, Michigan, where she had dreams of becoming a paramedic. I don't know, I don't believe she was involved in sex work either. Her body wasn't found until November 16th, 1984. She had been strangled. And once again, I don't think she was found in the same fashion as the sex workers. I don't think so once either. Again, I couldn't, I couldn't find fa- anything about the way her body was found, but I'm, I feel yeah. like they would have mentioned it if mm-hmm. she was nude and, and displayed in a certain way. Mm-hmm. This is the, uh, the one that's a bit different and they didn't connect him to this one right away because there was such, uh, he veered off and the MO changed mm-hmm. on October 7th, uh, on October 7th, 1984, 18 year old Chanel Williams's body was found. She was a sex worker and was abducted from Nebraska Avenue, much like some of his other victims, but her murder was not immediately attributed to him because she was the only black victim and the only one who had been shot to death. She was found nude and her clothes laid next to her, which was common for the sex workers that he killed, but using a gun is is different. Um, And like uh, the other victims though, this is how they later connected him to them. Um, the forensic tests done on Chanel's clothing revealed the presence of those same red tiny fibers from what would turn out to be the interior of his red magnum. Yep, yep. Couldn't di- couldn't ditch those red fibers, man. Yeah. <laughs> such u- such unique uh, car interior. I think mm-hmm. he shot her too in the back of the neck, Oof. which was such a weird such a weird thing to do. Right. Maybe he didn't want to disturb her face. I don't know. I mean, who knows what happened? Maybe she I... was fighting real hard with him, and he just grabbed the gun from his glove box, or who knows? I mean, we, we'll never know what happened. Well, I would say he he was probably walking her out through the woods, blindfolded behind her, possibly, and just shot her at probably at the base of the skull. Is what I'm mm-hmm. what I'm imagining. Um, but yeah, it is weird that he decided to shoot her. But but yeah. like you said, this is probably this is ramping up. This is getting towards the end of his streak mm-hmm. here. 
right? And maybe he's getting he just, more brazen. He is. He's getting more brazen, and he just wants to be done with it because he's not. He the, the killing is not the part he enjoys. Obviously, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he just wanted to get it done, however he had to get it done. I think he just didn't care at this point. He did. He did enjoy torturing, though. So he's a, you know he's known as a sexual sadist. So. He enjoy, yeah. Maybe he enjoyed the torture, but not the, you know, once they were killed, it was no fun anymore because he couldn't torture them any longer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think like that's why he left all those early victims alive. Like why he was just raping people for so long. Yeah. And then he realized sure. it was only a matter of time. He probably got off on the idea that they were going to be scared forever. Yeah. That he would come back or whatever. Absolutely. He liked ruining Very much lives. like the, uh, the Golden State Killer. You know, yes. I think he would have just gone on raping forever if he didn't uh, turn to, to murder as a means of like staying free you know not getting caught absolutely absolutely one week later 28 year old karen dinsfren's body was found in an orange grove she would be a seventh victim she had a daughter named alexa that she supported through sex work on nebraska avenue and she had been strangled and bludgeoned to death Mm. ligature marks were present on her neck and and she had been bound um and that's you know one of the this is one of the incidents where the hangman's noose was used Mm -hmm. and it was found at the scene right Still. Then we get on to Kimberly Hops, a 22-year-old who had dreams of moving out out west to Texas, but had unfortunately crossed paths with one of the most evil men in Florida. Her remains would be found on the side of uh, US 301 North on October 31st, Halloween, 1984, but her murder was not attributed to Bobby Long right away. She was nude and exposure to the elements had made her body impossible to identify and too much time had passed to collect forensic evidence from the scene. Mm. So she'd been obviously killed much uh, sooner than October 31st. It's heartbreaking how many women were on the verge of moving away from that area too, isn't it? Like we just talked about a victim who already had plane tickets to go to Michigan, and then like she was planning on moving to Texas. It's just just These are all details that I found. There's a link below to a Facebook page that put more information about Bobby Joe Long's victims. Yeah. The, the page is dedicated to just more information about the victims. Cause so often we just hear their name and right. when they were killed and it's all this information about the killer. I tried to find as much as I could on these victims and, and rarely is a sex worker doing that with long-term plans of that being their career forever. You know, they're doing it exactly. to survive in the meantime they while they're trying to. to get something figured out, you know? Right. Right. To put food on the table. Maybe sometimes they have a young child and they're, you know, maybe they're, boyfriend or whatever took off on them and they're just trying to survive that's right that's right speaking of survive let's talk about the one that survived the one that All got right. away yes the one that he let get away the one that got him caught and one that you have to think to his this ego. was there was a level of intention here for himself getting caught it might have been one of those instances where he was just ready to put an end to it because awesome. on november 3rd 1984 17 year old lisa mcveigh was riding her bike home from work at Krispy cream donuts at around 2 a.m Bobby Joe Long ran at her, pushed her off her bike, and dragged her into his car. He blindfolded her, drove her to his apartment, and raped her repeatedly over a 26-hour period. Mm, see, now Straying this is far crazy. away from his MO here. Straying yeah. far away from his MO, taking her to his apartment. He'd never done this before. That's what I was about to say. Like, this is crazy brave right here. Taking her yeah. home? Yeah, he don't give a fuck at this point. Blindfolded or not, still, you're taking her to your home. You're putting her DNA all over your home. And she very wisely made a point to touch everything she could in his home, leaving her fingerprints all over the place. Yep. Yep. Cause she was blindfolded the entire time. Yeah. 
And an interesting element to this story is that she had been, at the time, seriously contemplating suicide just hours before this attack. She'd even written a note due to years of emotional and sexual abuse endured at the hands of her grandmother's boyfriend. Oh, God. So she'd already been a sexual assault victim, was contemplating suicide due to this, and then she gets snatched up by this guy. She was on an episode of I Survived, which she said, quote, I was deathly afraid that he was going to kill me. Here I was thinking about killing myself, and now I was going to be fighting for my life. Jesus. And what a wisely way, what is, a way to realize you want to live. Right. And what's interesting, she became a sheriff, like a deputy sheriff later on mm-hmm. and dedicated her life to serving the community and helping people that were victims of crimes like this. Yeah. Which is just amazing. The 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 way that she kept cool though during mm-hmm. this whole this whole encounter is absolutely amazing. And yep. using many of the tools that we've talked about in our, you know, to uh, tools to survive a serial killer, like yeah. she's trying to, much like last week with Rebecca Cantu, uh, our last episode, you tried to humanize yourself to these monsters. You know, you yes. try to make yourself less dispensable. And yes. she tried to connect with her captor even after and, he repeatedly raped her. And I think she kind of got to him after a while because mm-hmm. she described one instance when they were in the shower together. And he, she's like, he started touching me like he cared about me. She's like, he was mm-hmm. like washing my hair and like, you know, rubbing my face. And then she's like, and then he, he took my hands and put them on his face. And she was like, and then that is when she just started feeling his face to try to get any idea of mm-hmm. what this man might look like. Yeah. You know, which was bold. Like, why would you do that? Right. Like as a killer, why the hell would you let, let your victim touch your face? And you know, you know that he saying? wouldn't have, he, this, this, she would have never gotten this treatment if she was a sex worker on Nebraska Avenue. This was no, one where he, no. she was riding home from work I, and he snatched her off her bike. That was part of this situation. Yeah, she got think, a little bit more of a leash because she was not, a, uh, you know, a trash person in his eyes. Right. I think in a perfect world, he keeps her as, as his girlfriend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think he had these weird fantasies like, maybe she'll fall in love with me if I keep her long enough because I yeah. really do like this one. There had to have been at least a 1% chance that he thought that when he let her go, she would come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, she went did. straight to the police, thank God. <laughs> he really did. Yeah. So she continued to listen to him talk about his problems with women over that, that period of time that she was in his apartment. She even offered to be his girlfriend, and she wouldn't tell anyone, she said. Brilliant. Then McVeigh uh, made up a story about being the sole uh, carer for her sick father, and she just made it really hard for him to kill her. She, yeah. she just made herself, you know, valuable in his eyes. And uh, ultimately, these attempts to connect herself with the killer saved her life, it seems. Um, while still blindfolded, McVeigh used the bathroom in Long's apartment and touched everything she could, as we mentioned, just putting her fingerprints all over everything. And then in the early hours of November 4th, uh, Bobby ordered a, ordered a still blindfolded McVeigh back into his car. Um, which she counted the steps in his house and noted the red carpet interior of his Magnum and the font that said Magnum inside the car, which was a feature of only the 1978 model of that car. Right. And if you're wondering how she saw this, apparently the blindfold, you know, she could look down out of the blindfold. Mm Because, you know, like sometimes when your blindfold goes over the bridge of your nose, you can still see out the bottom. There's a gap at the bottom. And that's if you tilt your head back far enough, you can see exactly down under it. And so, you know, she's walking around with her head back, just trying to see as much as she possibly can. And that's how she picked Mm -hmm. up on the fibers in the Magnum, because that was my first question. Like, how did she see that if she's blindfolded the entire time? But yeah, I think he even later said um, after his capture that he knew he knew she could see. He said, I knew she could see. I knew that this is probably going to get me caught. Yeah. But I just, I could, he said he couldn't bring himself to kill her. 
And maybe he wanted to be caught at maybe. that point. Maybe. Um, so he drove her further, pulled her over, um, and told McVeigh to get out of the car and keep her blindfold on for five more minutes as he drove away. And um, she later proclaimed, quote, I would say thank you for choosing me and not another 17-year-old girl. Another 17-year-old girl probably wouldn't have been able to handle it the way I have. I truly believe that all the abuse I'd been through in my life helped me get out of that situation. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to argue that. I mean, it's unfortunate yeah. and it sucks that she suffered all that abuse and then ends up being a victim of a serial killer and rapist at the same time. But it's true. If she hadn't been but, in those situations... Honestly, for society's sake, thank thank God it was her because she was strong. She'd already been through it. Yeah. And then she ultimately turns it into a positive and becomes a deputy sheriff and yes. gets this guy put behind bars. I mean, yep. she's strong enough to testify against him and everything else. And now she And she actually was present at his execution many years later, 30 plus years later. She she made a point to go there and wanted to be the last person to see his he he wanted to be her to be the last person he saw before yeah. uh you know, the poison entered his veins yeah but unfortunately he never opened his eyes she said yeah. she said he just sat there eyes clenched yeah not looking into the eyes of his victim and victims families yeah Piece of so shit. following bobby uh setting her free she went straight to the police and told him every told them everything that she could remember the color of his car the word magnum on the dashboard the red carpet in long's home mm -hmm. um she explained that her captor had used a do you have red carpet in his car and his house what is with this guy he's really loves know, red right? carpet huh Apparently. Red carpet was pretty popular back in the day, though. That's true. In the That's 70s true. and 80s, it was really popular. Cars yeah, man, and Just houses. imagine that, though. Like, red carpet. This just seems bizarre to have in your home or in your car, maybe not so much. But, yeah. you know, in a home, red carpet's definitely not too popular these days. No, no, not anymore. No. But no. 70s and 80s? Yeah, I think it was I think it was more popular. I had a couple family Probably a brilliant had, like, move for a serial carpet. killer, though, right? What? Probably a brilliant move for a serial killer, if you think about it. What, red? Yeah, red oh, yeah. carpet. So the blood Spill doesn't some blood show. on it. <laughs> just blends right in yeah i guess so he wasn't thinking um, but apparently it uh, comes apart really well yeah something that she had uh something she told the police really helped to get him caught was the fact that uh, on his way to dropping her off and setting her free he had stopped at a bank machine so like an atm mm -hmm. just before she was released and this would help tie the, the the rare car that single year of red dodge magnum which there wasn't that many in the area right. and the fact that he went to an atm at a specific time they were able to connect those things and also yeah. forensic tests on mcveigh's clothing revealed the presence of the same red carpet fibers discovered on the other victims and this just solidified her story to police now they know this has got to be the same guy that's been killing these women um around this time two more of the victims were found uh the last two victims of his that would be attributed to him 18 year old virginia johnson who had just lost a sister in a car accident a year prior mm. um, her body was found on november 6th then 21 year old kim swan on november 12th she uh, had a son named Robbie and was enrolled in vocational school. Only bones were left of Johnson, but a ligature cord was found at the scene. Swan, who had been a dancer at the Sly Fox, had ligature marks on her neck and wrists as well. And the same red carpet fibers, once again, were found once at both again. crime scenes. He's just tying himself to all of these murders. Yep. Damn red carpet, um, man. And the rare car, too. And if you're wondering amazing, how they... though? Like the skeleton, one of them was skeletal remains and they still find red carpet fibers. Yeah, that carpet, like, man. That carpet. Maybe they were like entwined in the ligature that was found at the scene. Who knows? Oh, yeah. That's a good Because he probably threw that ligature in the vehicle on the red yeah. fibers and rope and rope. They probably just got entwined together. Yeah, probably. Probably. So 
um, following McVeigh's reports, police acquired a list of all 1978 Dodge Magnum owners in Hillsborough County and subpoenaed the records for all bank machines in North Tampa. Comparing the lists, they found that only one 1978 Dodge Magnum owner had used a bank machine at 3 a.m. on November 4th, and that was Bobby <laughs> Joe Long. Yep, they finally they found their guy. Um, and when they look into his background, I'm sure they saw the abuse of his wife. They saw the rape conviction that got acquitted. And yep. they're like, probably thinking this is him. No this doubt. Is our guy. He's got our guy. No so they found his car and home not far from the bank machine also that had been used. And they put on a surveillance for 24 hours before arresting him. They arrested him outside of a movie theater on November 16th, 1984, and charged him with the sexual battery and kidnapping of Lisa McVeigh. Um, I think they also acquired like a picture of him. Oh, that's what it was. They pulled him over. So prior, when they had him under surveillance, they pulled him over under a guise of like some robbery in the area and he, his car matched the description or something. Yeah. And they actually asked if they could take a photo of him and he agreed yeah. and then set him free. And then they took that photo to Lisa McVeigh and she confirmed that it matched what she, what little she had seen of him or whatever. Right. And then also while he's in that movie theater, they were investigating and checking out his tires and they found yeah. that that one tire matched and they were like, mm. this is okay. This is, that's it. That's the nail in the coffin right there. Yeah. That's it. So now in custody, they can really start grilling him about the murders. They have him for that sexual battery and kidnapping, Yep. but now they've got to, you know, they've got to get him to confess to the, all those murders. And he signs a formal Miranda waiver and consented, consented to questioning. But after the detectives pr uh, procured a confession for the McVeigh case, they questioned they, their questioning focused on a series of unsolved sexually battery homicides. So they start turning to the, all the murders and mm -hmm. he starts getting a little sheepish at that point um, and says, I'd rather not answer those questions. Oh, the detectives really? continued the interrogation and handed long photographs of the various murder victims. At that point, he stated, the complexion of things sure have changed since you came back into the room. I think I might need an attorney. Yeah. And I'm think? guessing they kind of deflected that. You know, they didn't go, would you like an attorney right now? They were probably like, well, let me just ask you one more question. Whatever they did, they diverted right. it back to questioning. And ultimately, uh, he would he would uh, give in and um, confess to 10 murders and McVeigh's rape and kidnapping. Um, he would also reveal the location of Vicki Elliott's body, um, I believe, as well as his, his first victim that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Because she was found in November. Um, not long after his capture, uh, a plea bargain would be re agreed upon in which Long would plead guilty to eight of the 10 murders. And he subsequently received 28 life sentences for murder, rape, including the rapes that he committed as a classified ads rapist as well, and kidnapping. And for the murder of Michelle Sims, the beauty pageant winner, um, he received the death penalty Good. and hung out on death row for almost 35 years. As wow. we've seen many times. Um, that's a long time for Florida. It is. That's true. <laughs> like if it was California, it wouldn't be surprising at all. No. But no. one of the first things uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida uh, did on April 23rd, 19, uh, 2019, was sign that, uh, Bobby Long's death warrant. The first death warrant he had signed since taking over office in January of 2019. And uh, Bobby Joe Long's subsequent appeals were denied, and he was executed by lethal injection on May 23rd, 2019, just a few years ago. Yep. Nearly 35 years after his conviction. He ate his final meal at 9.30 a.m., he requested roast beef, bacon, French fries, and soda. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, really. Um, roast beef and, and he, bacon. That's an odd combo. Yeah. That's a really odd combo. Yeah, I know, uh, right? I don't understand that. 
Um, he would be pronounced dead at 7 p.m. and made no last statement. And as for Lisa McVeigh, the, the one that survived um, and became a, a sheriff's deputy, yeah. she said, quote, I wanted to look him in the eye. I wanted to be the first person he saw. Unfortunately, he didn't open his eyes, but she did, in fact, make a point to go to his execution and witness his death. Good. I'm sure yeah. that gave her some closure. Absolutely. You know, that was a good feeling, especially in in the spot in life that she is, the way she turned that around. And then now, you know, I don't know. I just feel like a police officer who has the experience that she has now, a true victim's experience, a true worst case scenario. Yes. It's like, I just don't know how you would get any more passion to help people than that. You know what I'm saying? Like right. that's the exact type of person that you would hope would become a police officer, someone who knows what it feels like to be a victim, you know? On and multiple I, fronts. She was abused by a family wow. member early on and then snatched up by a random sexual predator and held captive. I mean, geez, not many people yeah. have had the experiences she's had. And she was she was just tired of being a victim, man. And I can, yeah. I, I, I'm admire that. I admire that a lot. Very impressive. And you, you hear some oh, of yeah. her in the uh, intro as well. There's a lot of interviews with Lisa McVeigh um, you go on YouTube and she's a very inspiring person. No doubt. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Yeah. Wow. Well, old Florida man. One, one way to be an inspiring person is to have really, uh, pleasant smelling armpits. You well. think so? Is that, you think that inspires think, people? Yeah. Inspire people well, to smell better. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to, I'd like to inspire you to smell better naturally and organically. Right. That's right. Not our best segue, I'll give you that. No, no, we're getting there. Uh, <laughs> we're a little rusty. You guys don't know what the, this uh, bumpy segue we're trying to make here. Yeah. It's for Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia, which is an innovative, all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company that specializes in paraben and aluminum-free products. And their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients in everything they make, guys. And there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dream sickle, uh, fireside, bergamot amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop. And if you don't know where to start, start with our own scent, True Crime Pine, made especially for the true crime guys here. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, -E 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 -R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my guy on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. There's also scented oils and beard oils, guys. So if you're growing out your beard for the winter, get you some good smelling beard oil from Oh My Gaia. Again, that's at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, and use code word CREEPER for 15% off. Yep. Also use code word CREEPER for our other weekly uh, sponsor and organic company that can help you get through your day-to-day -day life. That is Tonic CBD. It's true. Not all CBD products are created equal from how the hemp is grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body. Every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017 and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible ever since. Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp for on their org or their certified organic family farm in, farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the pro uh, process. 
They have a bunch of different blends depending on your needs. I love grounded and chill. Um, they help get a good night's sleep. They help you with anxiety. Um, chill has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect. Um, and it's also easy to ver verify the quality of their products. There's a microchip on the top of the paddock, the product's packaging, which allows you to tap your phone on the top of the tube and reveal third-party lab reports, product information, details about the farm, and even helpful blog posts to provide you with CBD education. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper for 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com, code word creeper. That's right, guys. And links to both of these sponsors are right below the description of this episode. That's right. All right. Also, check out our Patreon page, $2 a month. It's a new year. Why That's not just right. get it off? Just get it over with. 21 bucks for the year and you're done. Boom. And you'll be sitting here next January before you have to put another penny towards it. And you get all of our premium content on there. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of episodes uh, from our, our once a month premium, uh, just normal true crime episodes right. to our just a banter episodes to higher thoughts to Sandu, all of it. You get it all on there for two bucks a month. And also well, no, on the $5 well, tier, the $5 you get $5 just a banter and all that other stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but on the we're going to be firing up just a banter uh, for the new year very soon. What, starting next week? You want to yeah. fire that up? That's right. Just the Get banter. We'll track. be back. That's right, baby. Be back next week. But yeah, on that $2 tier, you get all the Vault episodes, which are the 51st episodes of True Crime Guys, which are no longer available on free platforms. They are tucked away in the Vault on Patreon, as well as, like Lauren said, every Patreon exclusive. And then if you jump up to the $5 tier, you get access to literally everything we make, from Lauren's 5-Minute Murder Show to Just the Banter to Sandu Stories, uh, Strange Shorts with myself and Andy. There is a lot going on every week on Patreon. So... And like we said, guys, we took a little break for the holidays, but everything will be back in full effect uh, starting this month. That's right. All right. And uh, I want to thank everybody that's taking the time to go and rate and review the show, uh, yeah. whether it's on iTunes or if you click five stars on Spotify, if that's where you like to listen. Also, check out our YouTube page and subscribe to that. You can watch our episodes. If you only listen in audio form and you've never checked out the actual video form of it yet, it's a different experience, you know. Absolutely. Michael's wife does a great job of throw, putting those together and you get pictures along with the story. Um, cause I know you're Googling anyway, you got to see what this guy looks like. You got to right? see what some of the victims look like. You, yeah. You're curious. So we do all the work for you over on the YouTube page. So go give that a subscribe, check it out, put a like on the videos, help us grow on there as well. That's right. Easy peasy guys. We do all the work for yep. you. Yep. All right. All right. That's about it. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a barrage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a barrage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. From the minds of true crime guys, come TCG Weekly. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, 
including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over? Good luck, y'all.